everyone. Welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Bueller, and I'm here with my co-host and twin sister, Brittany. Hey, guys. This is the podcast where we talk about all things gymnastics, and today we recap all the action from conference championships this past weekend. There were a lot of upsets and plot twists, so we discuss it all in today's episode. But before we get into that, we want to real quickly thank our Gold Level Patreon supporters. A big thank you to Stephanie S., Blake B., Elaine E., Rye Dog, Faith M., Kristen R., Lori S., Sabrina M., Amy C., and Erica S. Thank you all so, so much for supporting us each month at the highest tier level. Your monthly donations help to make this show possible, so thank you so much. If you like our podcast and you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, you can visit our website, we're allthingsgympod.com, and you'll see a tab there that says support the show, and you can see a breakdown of each of the tier levels and kind of what the perks are of each tier level. So thank you guys again so much, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. So over the past weekend was the 2021 Conference Championships. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and I just want to start by saying that I'm glad we actually made it to this point. Obviously, with the pandemic and everything that's been going on the past year, we weren't really sure if we were even going to have a season this year. So to not only be having a season, but to have officially made it to postseason is super, super exciting. Of course, we're thinking of the teams that didn't get the chance to compete this weekend and didn't make it to this point. Um, the University of Georgia, New Hampshire, they had to pull out due to COVID protocols. Very last minute. Yeah, like a day before, the day that all the teams were leaving. There's also teams like Michigan State that started out having a season, but then ended up having their season canceled. So they weren't a part of the Big Ten Championships for the very first time ever. And of course, there's always the teams that didn't even have a season at all, like Alaska, some of the Division II and Division Three schools. So just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge them and you wish, know, wish they could have seen the season through like the other teams did. Yeah, for sure. But this conference championships, we have a lot to talk about. This it is was the, wild. This is the one I would say where nothing goes according to plan. <laughs> would you agree? Uh, for sure, hands down. We had predictions coming into this and nothing worked out how we thought it was going to, which is kind of exciting in some ways, kind of disappointing in others. We're going to talk all about it. We tried to watch as much of the action as we could, but there was a lot going on all day. So we're going to try and talk about some of the highlights, some of the disappointments and all that good stuff. So are we going to start with Max Championships? Yeah, we are going to start with Max, aka the longest me ever question mark <laughs> it started at two o'clock eastern time went all the way till 5 30 eastern time it's because there's seven teams in only one competition so like with secs and pac 12s they break it up into two different meets there's yeah. session one and session two and i get it's like not an even number like it's not four and four they would have to do like session one of three teams and then session two with four teams but i feel like they should do that because no other (laughs) no other conference has a meet that's that long they had seven teams competing all at once several buys yeah the meet just kind of dragged on but it's always been that way with max well they need to consider changing it in my (laughs) opinion but it's long for the athletes too it is it makes for a really long day for all parties involved (laughs) but I guess going in, I would say CMU was probably the one that 
I don't want to say we expected to win because I think Max was one of those conferences where we didn't really know who was going to win. I think it was going to come down to whoever was the best that day. But CMU was the highest ranked going in, followed by Kent State. But it was actually EMU that came out on top with a 1959. Yeah. And I do think CMU was the favorite, not only because they've won so many MAC championships in their history, but they were coming off back to back season highs. Like they, they scored their season high, which was a 196425. Then they did it again the next weekend, and then it was MAC. So I think that they were just kind of on the right trajectory and things were going up for them. And honestly, I think for them, it really came down to the fact that they couldn't hit beam and they've struggled with beam all season long and i think that that kind of really hurt their chances of even staying in the mix because like you said so competitive the mac conference this year and any team can go out there and win obviously cmu had put up the highest score in the mac so if you you think about it that way it's like i think cmu maybe could have went into it with that mindset of we have the best chance of winning because we have the highest score and they're also the highest ranked But it was like any of these teams could go out there and just do their best performance and win. So I think CMU kind of hurt their chances with their beam performance, which is really unfortunate. I was going to say, that's really disappointing because I know, like you said, they've been struggling kind of all season on that event. So Mm -hmm. to see it kind of, I guess, come to a head at the conference championships and that be the reason that they don't necessarily, you know, walk away with the performance that they wanted to. Yeah. But Eastern, got to give it to them. So happy. Obviously, if you guys listen to the podcast... If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you might know that I go to Eastern Michigan. So a big fan of that team and so exciting to see them put it all together and come away with the MAC championship. It's only the fourth in program history, the very first under Katie Minnesota. And it was their second highest score of the season. So I think after the first rotation, you and I were a little bit nervous because Beam is their best event. They started on Beam and... It was an okay performance. It wasn't like disastrous by any means, but definitely not what they're capable of. They can definitely go out there and, you know, get in the 49 range on that event. They actually posted their program record this season, which is a 49.35. So capable of big things there. And I was kind of hoping they would get started off on the right foot. And yeah, they, and I, was, I was hoping that they were going to go out there, crush beam, and then really like set themselves apart from the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they didn't quite do that. So I had like the metaphorical bead of sweat coming down my head. And I was like, shit, like <laughs> that was our best event. Like yeah. now, how is the rest of this meet going to go? But it was nice to see them bounce back because they, with all the buys and everything, it seemed like every rotation, they, they competed, they had a buy. They competed, they had a buy. And I don't know if that helped them. I feel like that may have helped them a little bit because they could kind of go back and like reset mentally. Yeah, refocus. But and I feel like for some teams, that would probably like, if the meet wasn't going your way, I feel like the buys would just like throw like me off. It would just, just piss me off. Like I would drag it done. <laughs> yeah. Like can we not drag this on any longer? <laughs> But I don't know, it's, I think it did possibly work to EMU's advantage, and they came out the last three events, and they went over 49, which that's obviously the goal for these teams. And yeah, Vault was a season high, and then Bars matched their season high, mm-hmm. and those were their last two events. Yeah. So actually going into the last rotation, they were tied with Kent State. And then in the last rotation on Bars, Eastern put up, like I said, they matched their season high, put up a great score, and was able to come away with the win. 
in the all around things got a little interesting as well all of the top girls that you would expect to be in contention to win the mac all around title had mistakes so peyton murphy hannah demers rachel dakavich i mean there's there's several girls that had the possibility to you know, win the title and they had mistakes, but it ended up being the freshman from Western Michigan, Sarah Morvansky. She put up a 39-2-5 and she just barely edged out Hayden Crossan from Eastern Michigan who put up a 39-2-2-5. And then Jada Rondu got third with a 39-1-2-5. So nice to see a freshman win the MAC title. That's got to be a big confidence boost. And to do it at home because Max was held in Kalamazoo Mm -hmm. on Western's campus. So to see Western, I guess, come out with a victory in the end with that all-around title, definitely super exciting. And I think hopefully that'll be a highlight for that team going into postseason. And then just to talk about the other two on the podium, Hayden Crossan, she missed last season due to an injury. She had surgery on her shoulder coming into the season and didn't really get to compete. She had a couple BM exhibitions last year but so nice to see her stepping into the all-around role this season and doing so well and Jada the senior she's been an all-arounder for Eastern but has kind of struggled on vault this season she struggled to twist her vault she sometimes just does a layout like a timer type vault absolutely nailed her vault last weekend scored her well, she matched her career best, 9825. Super exciting. And then, in my opinion, her vault at max looked better. I think it did. It scored a 9.8, so it technically scored lower. But, like, the vault, to me, personally, looked better. So, nice to see her have, you know, a good meet to close out her career. Um, she did have a mistake on four, which is a little bit of a bummer. Because I do think that if she wouldn't have made that mistake, I think she almost put her hands down. I don't remember if she did or not. I want to repass this on floor. But um, the, obviously, that's a pretty costly mistake. And if she hadn't have done that, she could have been the MAC champion. So I'm just going to try not to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but overall, really exciting me. Lots of good gymnastics. We've talked about the MAC, you know, several times on this podcast so far this season. And and several MAC schools actually qualified to regionals, which is also yeah. super exciting. Mm-hmm. Yep. So a lot of these teams aren't even done. They still have at least one, maybe two more meets under their belts um, if they can qualify to that second day of regionals. But Definitely excited to see what, you know, a lot of these teams are going to do going into the rest of postseason. Moving right along to the Big 12 championships, and in my opinion, what was perhaps the biggest surprise of the weekend, and that was... The biggest upset, for sure. Denver upsetting Oklahoma. Yeah, so it was a 197-35 for Denver to Oklahoma's 197-125, which is kind of... Not a good showing for Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, That's very not typical of them. That was the one conference championships where I think, you know, if I was certain it was going to go one way, I would have thought for sure that Oklahoma was going to win. And obviously, like, anyone can go out there and make mistakes. And we have seen Oklahoma at the beginning of the season not have the best meet and have scores that are kind of like... What is this? Like, like Oklahoma, what's Oklahoma doesn't score 195, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. used to, like, continuous 198s. But, yeah, they just kind of had a rough performance, and Denver capitalized, and they deserved it. Yeah, so I would say in the beginning, I was definitely nervous for Denver. They started on beam, and they didn't have Vasquez up, Alexis Vasquez. Mm-hmm. She's their beam queen. She's the beam anchor. She consistently goes up and goes 9-9 plus every single week. We were watching Max at the same time that we were watching Big 12, so I didn't hear on the broadcast if they said why Vasquez wasn't in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I will look into, but 
as of right now, I, I don't quite know why she wasn't in the lineup. Hopefully she's okay. She was there, so it wasn't anything COVID-related. So it was either just she wasn't hitting it in warm-ups and they pulled her out last time. I have second. a really hard time believing that. <laughs> I do too. Or she maybe had some sort of injury. So we'll keep you guys updated on that as we hear more. But they, so they didn't have Vasquez up on beam. So that was already kind of like, ooh, okay, we'll see what happens here. And then they had a fall on the second spot, which mean that they had to count a 9-8 and a 9-7-2-5. Not detrimental not like super terrible but when you're going up against Oklahoma and you're starting your meet that way having to count two kind of lower scores on beam and then you also don't get to count oh my god did you hear that (laughs) Brittany's losing her voice as we speak oh my gosh (laughs) okay anyways drink some water drink some water (laughs) but anyways what I was trying to say was when you're counting to, you know, kind of lower scores and you don't have your your typical big score at the end that you can rely on. And then you're also going up against a team like Oklahoma for a championship title. Definitely not the way Denver wanted to start. So I was definitely thinking like, hmm, this is, this is going to end up going in Oklahoma's favor. Yeah, it's going to end up going exactly how we think it's going to go. And Oklahoma did. They, they started out strong. They got a 49-5 on bars, followed by a 49-4 on beam. So they were looking really, really good. And then things got interesting on the floor. So Vanessa Denez, is it Denise or Denez? I think it's Denise. Denise, okay. Vanessa Denise got a 9-6-5. And there was like an inquiry put in on her score. So there was a super long wait. I want to say it was around 15 minute wait. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a start value issue, I believe. Yeah. So they were they were kind of talking about the start value that they came up with for her routine. I think one of the judges may have missed a requirement. Yeah. So that made Emma LaPinta have to wait super long. KJ looked like she wanted to murder somebody. <laughs> she was like glaring in the background, like judges get it together. And... Emma LaPinta went up and she did an okay job. Then there was a fall from Carrie Thomas. I want to say that was only the second time she's been in the floor lineup. I could be slightly wrong on that, but she, she's very, very new to the lineup. I do know that. So that was disappointing. That meant that they had to count the 965 from Vanessa. And then Anastasia Webb went up in the anchor position, had a great routine. And on the very last pass, she, you know, she did her rebound, like, jump thing that she does, where she, like, flies through the air like an angel. And then she comes down, hits her ending pose, and her foot is over the line. Like, completely. It wasn't even like it was, like, you could disguise it, kind of. Like, yeah. it was a toe or something. Like, her leg was straight up. And I don't even line. think she, I mean, she eventually realized, but, like, initially, I don't think she had any idea. She almost kind of looked like, oh, shit. Like, she moved her leg. Yeah, like, like she. You didn't see that? She hit her pose, and she, like, looked over and, like, moved her leg in quickly. And that sucks because, like, that's a mistake that, like, it's a mistake that's not a mistake, if that makes sense. Like, it's not, like, something that she did. Like, she, oh, you were off on your series and you fell on beam. And, like, you know what I mean? It was, like, literally, like, you didn't have to do that. Like, it was just, (laughs) if that wasn't a rule, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I know. I don't know. I'm not explaining this how I want it to. It's just, it's not, like, a technical error. Yes, it was a a silly mistake. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that she's going to look back on and Oklahoma is going to look back on. And... Be disappointed. I'm not saying they're going to be disappointed in Anastasia because obviously she's, she's amazing and she's done amazing things for Oklahoma in her four years. So we're not trying to like pin it on her and say like, this is her fault. No, I'm, it's, it's not coming across that way, hopefully. But I'm just saying that it's those silly little errors that almost like are harder to swallow yeah. than the big falls. Also, I want to ask you about her last pass because I've seen some people talking about it on Twitter and I... 
there was a video going around of her doing that jump that you mentioned where she kind of like jumps in the air and then she goes down to the ground. Some people were saying that should be a fall. Yeah, I saw that. And I don't know if it's just the way she did it at Pac-12s or sorry, at Big 12s, but it kind of looks like she's disguising a mistake. Well, I know that she rebounded kind of far on that more than she typically does. Like she's supposed to jump straight up kind of, and she kind of went back more than she went up. So she kind of like came down and like went right into like she kind of like melts into the floor kind of. her pose. yeah and like you would like to see her like just like with anybody else that does a jump out of their pass you jump you land and then you go down to the ground and do whatever you're gonna do she kind of like it was so quick that you question if she actually had control of the skill because i definitely don't think it was a follow i mean whether the judges should have counted it as a follow i guess you could debate it i didn't look at that and think that like like, oh no, like, well, yeah, she may not have had control over it in the sense that, like, she was kind of flying backwards, but I don't question that she was getting it to her feet in any way. Well, and for the record, and the judges did not count it as a, a major mistake because she got a 9 8, and then if you take out the foot going out of bounds, their team would have been a 9 9. So yeah. obviously, the judges didn't see it as a mistake, but I just thought it was interesting. I saw some people talking about that, and I was like, hmm, because it does look kind of odd, I guess, the way she did that. Yeah, but. At the end of the day, I don't think that that was, you know, the deal breaker for Oklahoma. I think there were several things that were just weren't going in their favor. Yeah. So going into the last rotation, Denver and Oklahoma were actually tied. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> as, as it should be, just to make it super intense for I all parties. I feel like that was a common theme throughout conference championship weekend. Like, I feel like there were so many moments where, like, it comes down to this or it comes down to, the, you know, these two teams and they're tied. Yeah. So I would say Denver was pretty lights out on bars. They were having a phenomenal rotation going. It was capped off by Lindsey Brown getting a perfect 10 on bars. It was a great routine. And then OU was over on vault and they were solid. It wasn't like a terrible vault rotation. They did have Evie Schofer who sat down her Tuck Tuchenko one and a half. And she's been a big scorer for that. She has. Season. Yeah, she was... I know at one point she was the number one vaulter in the country. I don't know. I I don't remember off the top of my head if she still was going into this weekend. But still, one of the best vaulters in the country sat down her vault. And then they put Emma LaPinta in the last position. I believe that was her first competitive vault score. So going in, you you knew that probably was going to be the score they wanted to drop already. Was that your chanko full? Mm Mm-hmm. And because Evie sat down her Tuckerchenko one and a half, not only did they not get a big score with that, but that meant they also had to count, you know, more of an average score from Emma. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because of how strong Denver was looking on bars, they were making up a little tense on them here and there and ultimately led to them winning. And they actually had already won the meet before Lindsey Brown went. So we, you mentioned Lindsey Brown in the anchor spot getting a 10. Well, they'd already clinched it yeah. before that point. So Lindsey going out there and getting a 10 was literally just icing on the cake because the deal was already done at that point, which is so exciting for Denver. Like, yeah. So exciting. Yeah. It's their first time winning in program history, and it's Oklahoma's first loss since 2011. That was back when Nebraska mm-hmm. was a part of the Big 12 before they moved over to the Big Ten. Yeah. So since then, Oklahoma has dominated this conference. That was the one conference where I feel like if one thing was certain, it was Oklahoma winning. And I actually think, I haven't gone back and listened to it yet, but you and I talked about 
conference championships on the last episode. And I'm pretty sure we said something along the lines of, now this isn't like word for word, but we said something basically about like how Oklahoma Oklahoma's going to win. Like that's the one where like, it's not a nail biter. Like we're not like waiting to see what's going to happen. Or yeah. I almost like alluded to the fact that like, I didn't even necessarily need to watch it because I just knew yeah. they were going to win. Well, <laughs> we're here to say that we were, we're eating our words. <laughs> um, because I'm Denver. okay with it though. I wanted Denver to win. Like yeah. I, I was cheering for Denver to win. Well, you, I wanted the upset. You tweeted before the meeting like what your hopes were for the whole conference champion weekend yeah uh, conference championships weekend and you said you want eastern to win max which they did you wanted denver to win big 12s which they did and then from there <laughs> everything things, went- things from there seemed like they were solid like okay like your whole list of hopes is gonna come true i'm like i'm basically like a god at this point like, i'm predicting <laughs> everything like who do y'all want to win let me know i'll manifest it for you <laughs> And then things just started to go down to the toilet. It was a plot. It was a plot twist in every sense of the word because the theme, I think, of this whole—I keep saying the weekend, even though basically everything was on the same day. There was a couple of things on. There was one meet on Friday, and I think there was one on Thursday. But yeah. I keep saying conference championships weekend, but whatever, you know, whatever. What I mean. It's a whole party. It's a, the whole weekend. <laughs> um. Anyways, I think the theme for this whole conference championships was upset. And it seemed like every conference championship had an upset. I think besides the Mountain Rim championships, I think every other conference had technically an upset. Which is good for the sport and the growth. I mean, it's not good when it's your team that's losing, but that is how sports works. And ultimately, the team that wins is going to be the one that's the best on that day. So I think that's, you know, how sports work. It's how championship season works. You got to be able to hit under pressure and you got to be the best team on that day. So I think that although there was a lot of upsets and we'll get into them, um, the rightful winners won, I believe, mm-hmm. for each of these meets. Moving on to Big Tens now, I would say that this one was probably the biggest battle, like the tightest battle. I should say. Um, really, Michigan, Minnesota, and Iowa were neck and neck the entire time. But Michigan coming in as the top-ranked Big Ten team, I thought it was interesting that they never even led the championships. No. And they were good. They were good all the way up until floor, but they never, ever had the lead throughout that whole championship. Yeah, I was going to say, they were great on bars and vault. Actually, I would say they were lights out on vault. They got a 49.65. That was thanks to another 995 from the freshman Raina Gugino, another 9975 from Abby High School for her one and a half, and then also a perfect 10, Yurchenko one and a half from Natalie Wojcik. That was Michigan's final rotation, and you could tell they were really fighting <laughs> to come back from behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't that Michigan had a bad meet. I think that because they didn't win, people are going to think if, you know, either if they didn't see it or they're going to look back on this championships and think that it was a bad meet for Michigan, but it really wasn't. It was an okay meet for them. Um, Beam and Floor was not up to par, I think, with what they're capable of doing, but it was still, you know, despite it all, the fourth best score for them for the season. So it's not like it was a bad meet. I think that Minnesota and Iowa were just on fire. As we kind of expected, you know, with them being some of the top teams in the nation right alongside Michigan, you know, it's good for the growth of the Big Ten, I would say, because Michigan has dominated the Big Ten for years. And 
it's kind of like boring after a while and that's coming from somebody who's a Michigan fan like I obviously always want Michigan to win it's literally the same situation as Oklahoma with Big 12 yeah you have one team that always wins one team that's always expected to win and it's kind of exciting every once in a while when somebody else rises to the occasion. Yeah, because I think it pushes the other teams. Like, I think that Minnesota winning is going to push Michigan to be better. And it's going to push Iowa to want to be better because they see now that Minnesota has done it. Like, Michigan is not invincible, you know, in this mm-hmm. conference. Like, you can beat them. Right. And that's Michigan coming off back-to-back, not only program records, but also back-to-back 198 performances. So, I think coming in, a lot of teams probably thought that, like Michigan was going to be, I mean, obviously they were the favorite to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people were thinking that Michigan was going to walk away with this unless they made a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, but like you said, the best team on that day won in Minnesota, they didn't really give a whole lot away. They didn't have too many mistakes, if any at all. No, they were super solid all the way through. They got a 49-5-2-5 on beam, a 49-4-5 on both bars and floor. I think on vault, they were like 49-3-5. So really, they put up a super solid me, and they 100% were the better team that day. And Iowa, too. I mean, all the way up until the very last rotation, Iowa was on beam, and they had a fall in their leadoff spot from Jaquay Henderson, and then a fall from their senior leader, Claire Kaji, which was kind of unexpected. Yeah. And that kind of took them out of, you know, contention to win, because I think in the end, the last rotation, it was coming down to Minnesota and Iowa, who was going to win, and then Michigan fighting on ball to try and make up ground as much as they could. And... Iowa kind of gave it away a little bit on beam with those falls. Yeah. I think that had Iowa not had a count of fall, they definitely would have finished second Mm -hmm. above Michigan. Michigan would have been third. And also, we should add that Iowa is the regular season Big Ten champs, which is crazy because I said this to Brittany yesterday, but... Michigan is having like seemingly their best season ever, but yeah. they're not the re- they're not the regular season champs or the actual big team. I know champs. how is it like how is it that, that works like that? We're like you're having arguably one of your best seasons in program history, and you're actually legitimately in contention for the national title. I would say, mm-hmm. but then you're not like dominating your conference essentially, but you're still one of the best teams in the nation. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's weird, but. Minnesota, they were so amazing. So it's exciting to see them come through with the win. They were super happy with themselves, you could tell. And and Iowa was super happy for them, too. Did you see the video of yeah. Iowa, like, freaking out and celebrating with Minnesota? Yeah. And they were announced as, like, the champions. So cute. Yeah. I love the Big Ten Conference, and I tweeted that. Like, such a good conference through and through, not only gymnastics-wise and, like, how competitive it's becoming, but also just the quality of the girls on the team. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they truly are amazing girls on all of these teams. Genuine, down-to-earth. Like, you could be best friends with any girl that's on a, in a school in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, like, you know, some <laughs> conferences, like, for example, the SEC Conference. Like, a lot of them, like, I don't agree with, like, some of their views. Or, like, I feel like there's problematic people on the team, whether it's coaching staff or athlete or whatever. Like, there's, like, almost, like... I don't know, just people that you don't vibe with. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we could all vibe with the big time. <laughs> yeah, can we some, not? Yeah, they were like, I get that like chill, cool, like invite them over, like after the big times, <laughs> and you all just chill out together. Like, yeah, they all just seem so cool, and the coaches too. Like the big time is literally the best conference. Like, like Larissa fighting. Libby, I want to be friends with Larissa Libby. Yeah, she's super cool. <laughs> I did an interview with her for Inside Gymnastics earlier in the season because. 
Iowa's just had a phenomenal season. They've at some points been ranked number one in the nation on floor. They've just they've just been having a really good season. So I talked to Larissa Libby for an article and she was so, so cool. I want to be her friend. So I was also kind of rooting for them when Michigan wasn't doing exactly what they wanted to. And it kind of was looking like it's no longer in Michigan's hands. They need other people to make mistakes. Yeah. I was almost kind of rooting for Iowa to come through because... You're like, if anybody's going to beat Michigan, you'd rather it be Iowa. And I love Minnesota, like, don't get me wrong, but it would have been cool, too, to see Iowa, because that would have been their first Big Ten title, I believe. And then it also would have been cool to see them win the regular season Big Ten title, and then go on to win the actual, like, conference title. Yeah. That would have been cool We are the best. Minnesota has won Big Tens, but it was just a really long time ago. Actually, I think they shared it with Michigan in 2013. Do you remember that? Because we were there. What was the year that Michigan hosted? Um, you're asking me to think back, and I'm not sure if I'm capable of that right now. I'm looking. Okay, so that was the first time since 2006. So I think what I'm thinking was, oh, I know. I know what I'm thinking. Everyone just ignore me. (laughs) Um, Michigan was hosting Big Fives, and Minnesota was there, and Minnesota won the regular season title this year that I'm thinking of. It wasn't the actual outright conference title. So 2006. So my original, what I said originally still stands. It's been a while since they've actually won the conference title. Yeah. And Minnesota, I guess I could maybe add this too. I feel like they've been neck and neck with Michigan really for the last couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. And had season not gotten canceled last year, I think that even this could have happened potentially in 2020. Like, I don't think that Michigan, despite them being consistently, like, one of the, yeah, I'll say one of the top teams in the Big Ten. In fairness, like, they always have won the Big Ten title, and they usually win the regular season title. So I guess you could say that they are the best in the Big Ten, even though this season they Historically, they are. Yeah. I think... For the most part, they are. But my point, I guess, with saying that is that Minnesota is always like right there at their necks. Mm-hmm. And I think that last season they were having a phenomenal season. So we'll never know, I guess, you know, what could have happened at Big Tens in 2020 if they had been held. But um, I'm glad to see that Minnesota finally pulled through. Um, it wasn't even just a matter of them capitalizing on Michigan's mistake. And that's the thing that I like about it for them. It wasn't just like Michigan came in and like had a disastrous meet and, and Minnesota gave won. Meat, and gave the meat to It's Minnesota. like Minnesota rightfully earned it. Michigan needed to step it up. And they didn't, so... Yeah, Michigan's been a little bit... I think their biggest question mark is four, and it doesn't help that Abby Brenner's out. Yes. Because she had Brenner back, like, ASAP. She was obviously in on four and was capable of putting up a big number, and yeah, that makes me a little bit nervous heading into regionals and NCAA championships, and Michigan is just so good on every other event. It's not to say that they're not good on four, but... I think that's definitely their weakest event. They always seem to, like, swallow some sort of score on that event they don't want to. Whether it's counting, like, a fall on floor or they have somebody go out of bounds and then somebody goes up and falls. Like, they always seem to count a lower score somehow on that event. And that's what's going to keep them when it comes down to regionals or nationals, hopefully. That's what's going to keep them, though, from reaching that top spot. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. No, we really we really shouldn't. <laughs> we should move on. Although, real quickly, I do want to say just a quick couple other, like, highlights and shout outs. Um, Jerquavia Henderson on vault and floor. She got a 9925 for her Yurchenko full. I would have been okay with a 995. It was pretty damn that was good. good. Um, floor, same thing, 995, but it was great floor routine. And she actually tied for a share of the title with Gabby Wilson, Lauren Guerin, and Anna Loper. So, 
love seeing all those incredible floor workers tie for the Big Ten title. It's always heartbreaking when you have somebody who's so good on an event and then like when it comes down to the conference championships they have a mistake and then like they don't end up winning and, and don't getting like they don't get the glory that they deserve. But all of those amazing floor workers from all of the top schools in the Big Ten right where they should be at the end of the season, number one in the Big Ten on that event. So love to see it. And then also, I think we talked about Michigan bouncing back on ball. How great to have three athletes, you know, one, two, three on the podium in the vault. Well, I, I don't want to say the vault finals, but in the vault rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a final, but yeah, they had Natalie with the 10, Abby with the 9975, and then Reina Gigino with the 995. And remember, we talked about this last week. Reyna and Abby, those were two new vaults. That was only their second time doing the one and a half. Same score. Yeah, they literally got the same score. So, like, repeat performance, but just so cool to see. And what a way to bounce back. So, I think that that's something that they can definitely feel really good about. And made me really happy as well because I feel like, you know, Michigan has so many girls that are amazing, like Natalie and Sierra Brooks. And they're the ones that get all the attention. But, like, Abby High School. Yeah, Abby High School, like, hello. She needs to be put in the floor lineup so she could have, like, a complete all-out yeah. performance. She went 9-9 on bars, 9-9 on beam, yep. and then 9-9-7-5 on vault. So, like, get a floor team in there, and hello, girl. Like, you could win the Big Ten all-around title. I know. <laughs> we need to manifest it. And then Reyna, like, we talked about it last week, but just, like, literally coming out of nowhere with this one and a half, and then now two weeks in a row, which is nailing it and getting 9-9-5. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but just so cool to see three Wolverines, you know, kind of dominating the vaults at Big Ten Championships. As they should. Number one team in the country. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so moving on to SECs, which I'm going to call this one the biggest letdown. (laughs) Florida broke everyone's hearts, as did Arkansas. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I'm still a little sad about it. It just wasn't their night. Really, both of those teams just... Definitely was not their night. Yeah, Arkansas was dead last. I, I mean, know. the only other team that's dead last was Georgia, and that's because they didn't compete. Yeah. It's really disappointing because I think Arkansas was capable of so much more. And they were having such a good season, and they were coming off of their season high. Yeah. The week before, so. Definitely an off night, and same thing with Florida. So they they ended up actually kind of rebounding back and getting third, but they finished with a 196-975. Again, it's one of those scores that it's not, it's not the end of the world. Like, we're not looking at that score and thinking, like, oh, no, like they're not going to win the national title now. Like, no, like, they're fine. There's a lot of teams that would love to have a score like that, but I think... Florida, just kind of like with Oklahoma, we're so used to seeing those big scores from them and like going almost 198. Yeah. That, well, and they've been, you know, one of the top teams, if not the top team in the country, majority of the season. So I do think that we maybe just expected a little bit more for them. And I think it definitely didn't help them not having Trinity Thomas. She yeah. only did bars once again. And I don't know. It just, Florida looked a little bit off throughout the whole meet. And I th- I'm glad, though, that they didn't put Trinity in. It's not like they were just trying to put her in to, like, salvage a good team score. Like, they truly had her best interest in mind by keeping her out. Yeah. Um, She had an ankle injury from a few weeks ago, and they are expecting her to be back for regionals. So hopefully that was, you know, the last meet they had to get through oh, without she, her. She did look like she stunned her ankles when she landed her bar dismount. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did. She was walking away and kind of limping. So hopefully it was just kind of like an ouch sting type thing and not like she impacting the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also somebody else that was notably missing was Sydney Johnson Sharf. Mm-hmm. She was not in, at least from what I saw, 
she was not in any of the team photos, so it appears like she didn't even travel with the team. Um, that's strange. Not really sure what's going on there. Well, and she was out for a little bit, but then I, I keep saying last week, SEC was off last week, but the last time they competed, she was back on floor for the first time in a while mm-hmm. and had a really good floor routine. So I was thinking that she was back for good. And they definitely could have used her, I think, on that event with Trinity Thomas being out. Like they couldn't really afford to have two of their top floor athletes out. Yeah. Just little mistakes here and there from Florida. Savannah Shane here on bars. Mm-hmm. Very uncharacteristic. Peyton. Alyssa Bauman, also uncharacteristic. Peyton Richards, uncharacteristic. Last, last season, she hadn't. She didn't go anything below. I don't know exactly what score it was, but she was in the nine eight range. She never went below a nine eight, and I don't think she had fallen either. Yeah, she was so consistent and kind of was just falling apart here at this conference championships. Yeah, rough on vault, rough on floor. Mm-hmm. Overall, just not the performance that Florida was looking for. Um, Alabama, on the other hand, they were incredible. And they 100% deserved the win, I would say. They were truly, like, from start to finish, the best team out there, hands down. Um, They finished with a 197-875. LSU also put up a really good fight. They finished second with a 197-775. And it came down to the wire with those two teams. Mm-hmm. I think Luisa Blanco, they were saying on the broadcast that she needed a 9.875. I think she actually needed a 9.8 yeah. to win. And she put up a phenomenal beam routine. Actually had herself quite the day in the all-around. She's had herself quite the season. She has, yeah. So she won every event title aside from floor. She got like 995s across the board. And the reason why she didn't win floor is because Kaya Johnson from LSU got a 10 on floor. Mm-hmm. So really exciting, not only for LSU and Kaya Johnson, but also for Alabama to have Luisa Blanco um, really peaking at the right time and having herself not only, you know, all these amazing all-around performances and individual performances, but it also really helps elevate Alabama, I would say, Mm -hmm. to have one of the best all-arounders in the country on their team, on their side, helping them. Because she's capable of putting up massive scores. Her gymnastics over the weekend, I would say, was pretty close to flawless from start to finish. Mm -hmm. So I agree. um, Definitely want to give a shout-out to her. Yeah, I think this was another one of those meets where... It was an upset because nobody really expected Alabama to win. We really thought it was going to be between LSU and Florida. As hard as it is to see, you know, not your favorite or not your team win, I do want to say that, kind of like I was saying with Michigan, I think it's okay for other teams to step up and win. I think it builds character. I think that it'll help motivate some of these teams like Oklahoma, Michigan, Florida, LSU even. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to motivate these teams going into the rest of postseason to just be better. Yeah. And I do want to say that, you know, a lot of people weren't very happy to see Alabama win just with everything that happened with Tia Kiaku and a lot of the girls on the team um, kind of gaslighting their former teammate. Yeah. Um, when it came to racist things being said, not only by the coaching staff, but other girls on the team. Um, so a lot of people aren't really happy with Alabama's win. And I, I do want to say this here, and I, I don't want it to seem like we're trying to take away from what Alabama did. But I also think it's important for us to back what we said, you know, before the season even began. And we, and we stand with that, um, where we're not going to forget what happened with this team. Yeah. And it is very, very hard to root for a team that not only 
family does what they did, but then doesn't really issue a proper apology or do anything to rectify the situation or make it better or show that they're going to do something different and change. It seems like Alabama tried to sweep it under the rug, and therefore it is very, very hard, for me at least personally, to cheer for them or to truly actually feel happy for them. Yeah, it's and interesting. I, and I, I, I kind of went back and forth in my mind as if I wanted, if I wanted to say this or not, because I'm sure we'll get crap from it from somebody that's an Alabama fan. I believe Tia Kiaku and what she, everything she had to say. She came on our show and shared her story. Um, you can also look it up on the internet if you have not heard of it. There are some people out there that are like, "What are you talking about?" Because we had people in our mentions on Twitter being like, "What? What happened?" Yeah. Um, Google it. Look it up if you're not sure what happened. We're not going to re-get into all the details here, but um, yeah, I just want to make it known to everybody that's listening that we do stand with Tia Kiaku, and we still obviously wish and hope that that situation would have been handled differently, and as much as Alabama deserved the win at SEC Championships for their gymnastics, and they were the best team that day for what they did on the competition floor, um, it is still very, very hard to support them. Or celebrate them when they're doing things that are so horrible. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off that for just a second. When you're talking about some of the best teams in the country, teams that will go on to you know win conference championships or possibly a national championships, these athletes have a lot of fans that watch them and that follow them and see what goes on and... I feel like it's important for all of the top... Well, well, really, I guess you could argue any NCAA team, whether they're a top team or not, I guess maybe is the argument here. But definitely for these teams that have the major platforms, like a team like Alabama does, I expect more from the university. I expect more from the team. We hold them to like a higher standard. And, you know, it's nice to see that their gymnastics is up there with the best in the nation. But as far as the team as a whole and the character of the team and also like the integrity of the team, I think that's kind of what you were trying to say. It's like... Mm -hmm. That came into question with Alabama. And so I don't look at them and feel like pride for them as a team. Knowing how they made one of their teammates feel and how they kind of like iced out Tia and boxed her out when she tried to talk about, you know, her experience with racism at the hands of not only the head coach of that team, but also with some of the athletes that are currently on the team And still. the assistant coach that's still with the team. Yeah. It's like a lot the, of the was the one that made the back of the bus comment. Yeah. A lot of the people that were involved in that situation are still involved with this team. And I think that's why it's so hard to like feel not happy, but I guess fully supportive of that team mm-hmm. and them winning. It's like, yes, you had hands down the best gymnastics that day. Like, I'm not arguing that at all. I'm not taking that away from them. But you're not one of the best teams in the country because of your character and the example that you're setting, not only within the SEC conference, but also in the entire NCAA. I just feel like Alabama set a horrible example and a horrible precedent for that team and what they stand for. Maybe that's what we're trying to say. Yeah. And, and it, I'm not trying to get like super deep with this. Well, right, because like I said, we we did have a whole episode where we had Tia on and we talk about this and we don't want to necessarily dive like read back into that when we're talking about conference championships, but, but it's, it's important to know because I can't sit here and act like I'm happy that Alabama won when I'm not for those reasons. And, and I think it has a lot nothing the, to do with the gymnastics or them like beating like your favorite team. Like, oh, you're just pissed because you want Florida to win. Like, it's not even that. 
Yeah. No. It's, it's just the fact that I feel like when I think of the best team in the nation or one of the best teams in the nation, I'm talking about like collectively. Like I want it to be gymnastics wise and I want it to be like who they are as a team. Like their right. heart. Like you earned it, but also like your team stands for wonderful things. Like Iowa, for example. Iowa's one of the first teams that comes to my mind because they have such a good message as a team. And they're inclusive and they're supportive and they're they're using their platform to sense like a strong message to do positive things in the gymnastics community because like yes. I said people see it whether it's fans young gymnasts like incoming recruits like so many people are seeing what these teams are doing and the messages they're putting out there in that time the whole Black Lives Matter movement and racial inequities that was a big conversation that was happening at the time and they, they, they missed that opportunity they yes. missed the opportunity to rectify a situation all they had to do even if they weren't, we're now we're going deep, I'm sorry. But even if they didn't fire Dana Duckworth, like even if they didn't do that, the very, very least they could have done, like bare minimum they could have done was issued a proper apology. No. They didn't yeah. do that. All they did was they they allowed their individual athletes to try and explain a situation that they didn't have the right to explain, gaslight their teammate, and then the team had the audacity I say the team. Obviously, it wasn't the team's decision. It was adults. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the actual gymnast, I would imagine, that said, let's do this. But they post a video, like a high-quality production, where they're talking about sisterhood. And that's their response to the quote-unquote allegations from T.I. It basically just felt like they were trying to dismiss everything she was saying and talk about sisterhood when they treated one of their sisters very, very poorly. And it was just not the way to handle the situation. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll end it there. We don't want to like dive deep, too deep into that. But uh, I'm sure a lot of you are probably waking up this morning or whenever you're listening to this and probably feeling a little bit of the same way. Um, you know, we got to just hold teams accountable. We have to expect more from these top... Again, I don't even want to say these top... I'm saying these top teams, but I'm like, no, that's not even right. It really should be the standard for all teams regardless and yeah. all human beings regardless. But you know what I mean. And we made a promise to T.I. when she was on our show and when we were all talking about this that we wouldn't forget it. So we can't have her on our show and then a couple months later, well, I guess, holy shit, not a couple months later, like a year later. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Whoa. Anyways. Crazy. We can't like just turn around and be like, oh my God, Bama won. It was a great meet. Like, yay. And it was. Like, congrats. All those things are true. They won. It was a great meet. Like, congrats. But also, let's not forget. But I still have a problem with you. Let's not forget the horrible things that your coaching staff did and some of the girls on your team dead yeah it's unfortunately tainted by the actions of a few individuals on that team and i remember saying every time they showed up on the tv screen we were going to remember this i remember saying that to ti Mm -hmm. and as they were you know doing so well secs and at the end of the meet they had won secs that was one of the only things my mind could think of truly um, I cannot. I have a hard time watching that team without thinking about what they did to Tia Kiaku. So sorry for turning this into something that's not necessarily about. We're talking about conference championships, but I feel like that's an important thing to talk about. You can't talk about Alabama winning without talking about how that team treats members of their team. So we thought it was important to mention that, but well, we'll move on. Do you want to talk about Pac-12s? Yes, Pac-12s was I think the most predictable. 
but still somehow an upset. Like, somehow in a crazy, like, I don't want to say turn of events, but, like, going into this, Cal was actually ranked number one in the Pac-12. And that was the first time in program history that they've ever come in. That Honestly, any team has ever come in as the number one team that wasn't Utah or UCLA. They've always been the top team in the Pac. So, going in... Pac-12, I said the Pac. (laughs) I mean, you could call it the pack. I've never heard it called that. So, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to make it a thing. It's like Mean Girls. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make pack happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even catch on to it. So you didn't. Like, you just, I was looking at your face and I'm like, she didn't even realize that I said the pack. Nope. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, going in, Cal was ranked number one. Utah was ranked second in the Pac-12. So, because of that... This was still technically considered an upset. And that is so weird because it doesn't feel like an upset. Utah has been, Utah and UCLA have been so dominant that it feels like Utah was leading. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel real to me that Cal was actually the top team coming in, which they totally deserve, by the way. They've been having a phenomenal season. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping that they would win Pac-12s. I think that would have been really exciting. I was low-key rooting for that too. But... Any team other than Cal winning Pac-12s is an upset, which is just weird. So there was, going into it, there was a pretty good chance that, like, there was going to be an upset regardless, unless Cal won, which was a possibility. But, like, for UCLA and Utah, like, they, it was also very possible that they were going to have a phenomenal night, like, they have in the past. So, you know, you just never know how it's all going to come together, but I definitely would say that overall, Utah came to play. So... They started out on bars, and it was a little bit of a struggle. They started out with a fall, actually, from Abby Polson, the very first routine up. But really, aside from that, they were pretty good all around. Beeman Floor, 49-675, huge score. Mm-hmm. Everything they counted was above a 9-9. Super impressive. That's super, super impressive. And I think that really played a big role in why they were able to come away with the win. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to UCLA. They started out on floor, and Shay Campbell got a 9.95. Still obsessed with her routine. Still love it. Honestly, one of my favorite routines, I think, ever in college gymnastics. And she performed it so well over the weekend. Like, I feel like she just keeps getting better and better. Like, her tumbling was on point, but so was her dance and her facial expressions. Like, and we think that Mars is the queen of sass, but, like, Shay Campbell is definitely rivaling her for that title. She is. So she, anyways, she got a 9.95. Um, Sakai, right, with a 995 on ball. That's a career high. So nice to see her finally get that landing. Yeah. I think originally her career high was 9875. So I think sticking that landing was the one thing that she had just struggled with ever since she started competing on ball. Yeah. So nice to see her come through and hit when it matters most. Because they needed her to have, you know, she's one of the only people in the lineup that has a 10-0 start value. So they really needed her to come through and hit with this, you know, get a stuck landing. And she did that. So that was nice to see. Nia Dennis also came through with, in my opinion, what was a perfect Yurchenko fall. She got a 9-9, but I think I would have been okay with a 9-9-5 for yeah. it. Because it was amazing, as it always is. You know, we, we come to expect that from Nia. Just so, her body position, so perfect. The amplitude, so good. I think, if anything, maybe she could have held the stick a little longer. That may have been where the judges took a deduction. But I think I would have been okay, too, with a 9-9-5. But it, it did end up going 9-9. And also something else exciting that happened was the return of Nora Flatley. She's been out all season long. 
finally shows up here at the Pac-12 Championships. Goes nine eight seven five for her bar routine. So she just basically came out of nowhere. They needed that too. Yeah, I think. So. And I think that hopefully going into regionals, they'll have her on beam at least as well. Maybe even floor. Um, UCLA could definitely use the help of Nora. I think, especially on bars and beam. Mm-hmm. But really for UCLA, not a bad meet actually. They put up season highs on both floor and vault. For a while there, it almost looked like they could have been in contention for the Pac-12 title as well. Yes. It, it wasn't a bad me. It was just a UCLA me. That's how I would sum it up. Like, it was two really, really, really strong events. Beam, they kind of imploded a little bit. Had a count of fall. Very just UCLA things. <laughs> but overall, I would say I'm still super impressed with them. They were definitely the underdogs coming in. Like, in years past, you would expect UCLA to win or to contend for the title. And this was the year that we were kind of like, you know, we said last week, it's going to be between Cal and Utah probably. And UCLA really needs to step it up if they want to have a chance at winning. Yes. And I feel like they did. I did feel like that until the last rotation, they were keeping themselves in the mix. Mm-hmm. And how about Miley O'Keefe from Utah? The 995 queen? <laughs> yeah, I love her. I love her gymnastics so much. And her bars, I feel like in particular, maybe I just didn't pay attention a whole lot last year, but I feel like she's sticking that dismount way more than yeah. she ever did in the past. Like, I think that she's stuck it almost every meet this season. Yeah, I think she could do it in her sleep now. Yeah. She got 995 on bars, beam, and floor, and then 985 on vault, so... Really impressive all-around showing for her. Yeah. And a beautiful gymnast. Kale, I I would say they were amazing in their own right over the weekend. It wasn't a bad night for them either. It was just that Utah was on fire, and Utah was putting up scores that were really, really hard for anyone to catch. I loved watching Kale on the sidelines, cheering on, especially UCLA on floor. Mm-hmm. You could see them by the vault. I wish that we would have seen more of it. Like, the camera kept switching angles. And I'm like, can we please keep the angle where we can watch Kale watch UCLA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're just, like, BFFs. Kale yeah. and UCLA. Like, the two California you schools. You can see the respect that they have for each other, which is really nice to see. Yeah, but Kale, like I said, they, they did have an incredible meet. They finished second, which was the highest finish in program history. Also, the highest score they ever got at a Pac-12 championship with a 197-375. So this is a team that has been on the rise, but I think it's really all coming together for this season for Cal. And going into postseason, they're in contention to make nationals. So definitely really exciting to see. And I think that whether they make it to nationals or not this season, they still had an incredible run. And I think that there's so much good that's going to be happening in the future for this team. And it's exciting to see another team in the Pac-12 conference kind of rise up and be, you know, one of the top teams. It's nice to have somebody different other than Utah and UCLA. For sure. And also, let's talk about Arizona State for a second. So they were in the night session for the first time in program history, which was super cool to see. Came in ranked 11th in the nation, which is also super cool to see. And they were the only team at the Pac-12 championships that hit all 24 routines. Oh, wow. Also really cool to see. I did not realize that. Yeah, so they had... An incredible day. They're having an incredible season. I actually want to give a shout out to Anya Smith. Her vault, she did a beautiful Yurchenko one and a half, scored 9925, which I'm calling bullshit on. Yeah. We watched that live and we were like, 
That could be a 10. I really was, I, I knew it probably wasn't going to be just because with the way the scoring was going, like I didn't think it was going to happen, but it should have been. Yeah. And it totally could have been. I didn't see much wrong with that. Like legs glued together in the air. She was perfectly straight and centered. Nailed the landing. It was a beautiful waltz. And she's a freshman. Is she not? Yeah, she is. That is so impressive. To be anchoring the vault lineup at the Pac-12 Championships your freshman year, nail the crap out of your vault. Only 10-0 start value in the lineup. Did Cairo do the one and a half? No. So the only 10-0 start value in the lineup and 9-9-2-5. That could have been a 10. <laughs> Literally a queen. We stand. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> so that kind of wraps up all of the meets that we watched this weekend. There was still a lot of other meets that went on. Yeah, we only have four eyes, one TV, <laughs> two laptops so there's only so much we can do here guys <laughs> but shout out to temple they won the eagle championships with a 1965 that was good enough to solidify their spot at regionals for the first time since 1992 so Love super that. exciting that kind of stuff to me is like the most that's, meaningful that's what gymnastics is all about i feel like yeah. is these moments also can we talk about the score like can we backtrack and not like overlook the 1965 that's huge <laughs> like i literally saw that and i was like what the heck like <laughs> you just wouldn't expect it like that's like good yeah like, <laughs> temple is like hey hello we're here that has to be a program record that's actually a good question. We should look into that real I'm quick. I'm going to look into that. Okay. While you look into that, I'll quickly move on. Mountain Rim Championships. BYU also won that for the first time in history with a 196-925. Didn't watch the meet, but um, it's always exciting to see teams winning their conference championship for the first time ever. Like, love to see that. Okay. So, I'm here with a couple stats. It was a program record. They also had a program record performance on floor with a 49.375. You mentioned qualifying the regionals for the first time since 1992. This is also their first season competing in the Eagle Conference, Mm -hmm. and they won, obviously. And then they came in as the fourth seeded team or the fourth ranked team so so they like really upset a huge upside and shout out to them that is so cool to see and like you said i think this is what it's all about you know i think it just continues to elevate college gymnastics like all of these teams are just pushing each other to be better and when you have so many teams that are doing so well you have almost no choice but to step it up yourself or else you're gonna get like lost in the dust behind like Mm -hmm. you have to step it up and you have to put it together when it counts so i think just to see all these upsides i think it just speaks volumes to the directions that college gymnastics is going in and how all these teams are like just absolutely crushing it and i'm just so impressed with the way everybody's performing this season like it doesn't matter what conference you're in It, it seems like this is the year where everybody's stepping it up and doing their best gymnastics and I got to be honest with you, I think coming into the season, I didn't really expect that. Like, I was kind of thinking this was going to be a disaster. A lot of teams weren't going to be prepared. And, yeah, to see everybody coming through and, like, just having some of their best gymnastics ever, it's cool to see. And I think after the year that we had in 2020, season being cut short last year, you love to see it. You love to see, like you said right at the beginning, us to make it to this point. We're in the postseason. We now just have regionals and NCAA championships left. 
Um, and to see so many teams coming through and winning their conference title when they weren't necessarily the top-ranked team coming in and seeing the big scores, program records. I mean, there's just a lot to be excited about with this season. And and I think that the impact that the entire last year had on all these athletes is really showing right now. I think that this really applies to anything in life. When you lose something that you love, whether it's like a person, like you could literally apply this same concept to anything in life, but... In terms of gymnastics, you know, when you lose something that you love, like the sport of gymnastics and your ability to be able to do it or the ability to go for a conference title or a national title or a regional title, when you sort of have that pulled away from you, you realize how much you miss it and you realize how much you love it. And I think that's something that really all of these teams, despite how preseason went and the lack of training that some of these teams had, it was that love for the sport that I think everybody was able to find again and just realizing like... I only have one shot at this. Like, this is, this can be taken away from me in a second. Mm -hmm. I think it's that realization that kind of just motivated everybody to go out there and put their all in this season and just do the best that they could do. And I think that's why we're seeing this elevation in the sport where all of these teams are kind of coming on like really strong and it's making college gymnastics super competitive. That just makes me really happy. Like you said, I think it coming after the season that we had last year where it was cut short, just to see everybody going out there, doing their best, thriving, you know, even the upsets. Like I said, even if it's not your team that won, like if your team lost, it's still fun as a gymnastics fan just to see success for all of these teams, for any team. Mm -hmm. It makes me really, really happy, especially after, you know, what happened last year. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. Next up is regionals in two weeks. So next week's episode, we're not really going to be talking about regionals. It's going to be kind of like a weird in-between episode, but make sure you're following us on social media. We're all things GymPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we'll be sharing information about regionals, like where you can watch, where teams are going, like what regional they're going to, stuff like that, just so that way you can kind of start to plan ahead. Next week's episode is going to be, I guess maybe just like a fun episode it's actually our one year anniversary of having this podcast which is super crazy but we kind of just want to look back and reflect and talk about you know some of our favorite episodes maybe just do something a little bit more lighthearted and chill and if you guys are a supporter of the show and you want to send in a message there's actually an option to send in audio messages which we don't normally promote that in our episodes just because I think if people want to do it they would find out how to do it themselves but we've had a couple people either send us nice messages through email social media and we've had occasionally people send us audio messages so that would be a cool thing to have too if people want to do that for our one year episode yeah maybe your voice can be featured on the podcast just say hey what's up maybe share your favorite episode or anything you want us to do in the future for the show um, that would be pretty cool. I actually literally just thought of it on the spot. I didn't consult with Brittany at all, so hopefully she's okay with that idea. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, so if you want to do that, it might make you download the Anchor app on your phone. Anchor is the platform that we use to distribute this podcast. So all you have to do is go to the show notes. You'll see it says support this podcast, and then you'll see a link to Anchor. If you click that... Um, it might pop up a message where you can become like a supporter and there's like a monthly contribution. Just hit the X in the upper left hand corner and then it should take you to our Anchor podcast page. 
And then I'm not certain if you'll need the app or not. I'm imagining you would if you actually send in a message. But if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see it says message. And if you click that, there'll be an option to record a voice message. So you don't have to do that. It was just kind of a fun idea that I thought maybe would be nice to have for a one year anniversary. So if you guys want to do that, that's how you would do it. Well, yeah, and I think it's really fun too when we do hear from supporters, whether it's through like an Instagram message or whatever, just like something that's written in the email, I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yep, anything that's written. Yes, we, have, we don't have people that like and write us letters and snail mail them to us, but you know what I mean. I think it would be really cool to hear from you guys one way or the other, whether it's through you know, a DM, an email, or even an audio message. So. And if you send us a message on social media and you want it to be read or whatever, you want it to be mentioned, let us know and we'll, you know, shout that out as well. I think it would just be cool to hear from all of our supporters on our one year anniversary. Because um, we're obviously going to be talking about some of our favorite moments and memories and episodes and people that we've had on and stuff like that. But we want to hear from you guys as well. So... Send in your messages, and we look forward to talking with you guys next Monday. Bye. Bye.